Hey everyone, it is Thursday, July 21st. I'm Mo Shwinunu and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I am joined again this week by our special guest co-host, Kevin Mano. Kevin, you're in Nashville. How are things going this week? Things are hot in Nashville as they are everywhere, uh, but uh, it's good, man. Thanks so much for having me back. I appreciate it. We had a good good show on Monday. I got some got some excellent feedback from folks. Um, Great. So and, it, was, uh, it was popular demand. That's the reason I'm back. Yes, the uh, the listeners have voted, and you are uh, back for another. And we'll take another vote yes. after this after this episode. All right. I'll keep my fingers crossed. But thank you. I'm I'm happy to be here. So uh, what do we have going on today? Let's get to the news. Here's what we are, uh, what we're following. When will the U.S. and Europe see some relief from the record-breaking heat wave? Just mentioned it. Uh, the tale of those missing Secret Service text messages. We'll talk about that. Scientists are trying to decipher radio waves from deep space. This is kind of crazy. A sign of alien life, maybe. And uh, our weekly cheers to the freaking weekend. What are we watching, reading, and eating this weekend? We'll talk about all of it. Something I always like to look forward to, and we like to get started early on the weekend here. Kevin, yes. by doing this segment on Thursdays. Thursday, Thursday morning. <laughs> Happy weekend, everybody. All right, let's get going. We are going to start with the uh, the extreme heat here at home and over in Europe. Here in the U.S., temperatures have spiked to 115 degrees in Texas and Oklahoma. More than 60 million Americans will likely see triple-digit heat over the next week. Heat advisories and excessive heat warnings are in effect for a third of the country. That includes 28 states across the central U.S. and the Northeast, Hot weather and high humidity could lead to heat-related illness or heat stroke. Be safe, everybody. Uh, Meanwhile, across the Atlantic, Northern Europe is starting to see some relief from the 100-plus degree temperatures. In a week of record-breaking heat in Europe, emergency services have been stretched thin as fires have torn through much of the continent. Portugal, Spain, France, England, Greece, and Germany, they're all seeing unusually high temperatures. Yeah, Kevin, there's so much to discuss here because, it's you know, you saw records breaking in southern U.S. You saw records breaking in yeah. Europe. And by the way, apparently this is a preview of things to come in China later this summer as well. Folks are already warning about that. But let's stay in Europe for a second because we've, we've seen heat waves for a while now in southern Europe. It was those temps, though, in England uh, that were really pretty remarkable. Keep in mind, and most people don't know this. I was getting messages from people in Arizona like, what, it's 100 degrees. What's the big deal? I was like, you have to understand that in the U.K., the high typically in July and August is in the mid-70s, between 73 mm-hmm. and 75. So for it to heat up more than 30 degrees above normal, normal was not okay, especially in a country where only 2 to 3% of the population has air conditioning. Because again- It, it makes it so get, dangerous. Yeah. So dangerous. And it just it's not normal. The infrastructure was not ready for it. You saw some of the videos. If you haven't seen, check them out. You know, Literally runways melting. They're covering bridges in tinfoil, trying to preserve the infrastructure there. Uh, by the way, fires related to the heat actually created the busiest day for London firefighters since World War II. That was when bombs, of course, were raining down during the Blitz. Wow. Um, and the concern, of course, is that climate scientists uh, weren't expecting this sort of heat to be hitting Northern Europe for a couple more decades. I mean, obviously, we know the Earth is warming, but for us to be hitting 105 uh, in England, they were expecting this thing around the year 2050. Of course, that is you know more than 25 years out. Heat-related deaths have eclipsed more than a thousand dozens of towns in Italy and Greece are being evacuated due to the fires down there. And we've seen some dramatic and unfortunately deadly scenes play out in Spain where they have also been experiencing wildfires. It's very sad, very scary. And most back here in the U.S., we are feeling it as well. Dallas, Oklahoma City, and Tulsa, they all could approach 110 degrees 
in the coming days. And some locations have blown past that already. For the first time on record, every one of Oklahoma's network of 120 weather stations hit 103 degrees on Tuesday. That's never happened before. No, and those cities might not get relief until next weekend. I was actually playing with various cities in the South, being like, when are they going to see a high that doesn't hit 100? And still, uh, you don't quite see it until next weekend, I'm sorry to say. Uh, there's been drought-related conditions. I'm hearing from ranchers and farmers in those states um, who are worried about their animals. Uh, crops aren't growing, so they're like, what am I going to feed these animals with, and how do I keep them cool? Uh, the heat in Texas, by the way, is tied to the extreme drought there, Drier soils uh, actually allow for the air to heat up faster. And so this is sort of kind of the self-fulfilling cycle mm. you see here. According to scientists, by the way, Texas and Oklahoma are three to four times more likely uh, to be seeing these types of temperatures now due to uh, human-caused global warming. Let's talk about uh, you know climate change as a whole here in the U.S. President Biden has made climate change his focus uh, just Wednesday with, uh, with his trip to Massachusetts. He visited a former coal plant it is now being converted to, you know, managing wind energy. That's a big, big change. He said that he is treating the climate issue like a, quote, emergency, but he didn't declare it an official national emergency. Uh, where does he stand and what would, you know, an official declaration do? Yeah, you know, it's interesting on this issue because Biden's stuck really between a rock and a hard place here. He made it a big thing during the campaign uh, when he was running that, you know, he was going to be converting America to new energy, to cleaner energy. Uh, but we've all experienced this year, uh, the oil prices, the gas prices going up. And so he found himself in a situation here where he wants to be able to get us going towards uh, new energy. But at the same time, we're still stuck with the current stuff. And so how does he you know, continue to make peace with the Saudis, uh, beg oil companies to drill for more, while he also goes on the campaign trail to trash them and say, listen, we have to have our CO2 emissions uh, in the next eight years, 2030 is the goal. Uh, as far as the climate emergency you mentioned, uh, Kevin, it appears to be on hold for now. Now, this is a presidential power. There's been 100 emergency declarations since the 1970s when they got this power. So presidents over time will declare a national emergency. And what it lets them do is reallocate money towards what they deem is an emergency. Most recently, you saw Trump do this during his term. He declared the border situation with Mexico a national emergency. And what it allowed him to do was to put money towards it. Remember, in our system of government here in America, Congress controls the purse strings. Congress controls what, where money goes. And so the national emergency declaration is sort of this carve out a president has to be able to spend money on their own without having Congress do it, because Congress, frankly, hasn't done that much here. So uh, he's you know, continuing to push Congress. Uh, he's going to hold off on this emergency declaration because he thinks something can get through in Congress. There's one stumbling block. His name is Joe Manchin. He's a Democrat mm. from West Virginia, coal country, and he's kind of holding that out. So in the meantime, you sort of live in this reality, as you mentioned, Kevin, where he says it's an emergency, but he won't declare it an emergency. He's starting to do some things, um, and he says that he will be doing more as the summer and fall continues. Uh, let's move now to uh, those Secret Service text messages and uh, these changing election laws. Moshe, we're getting more info about those missing Secret Service text messages around the events of January 6th. We learned Wednesday that the Secret Service has provided just one single text exchange to the Department of Homeland Security. DHS is investigating the agency's record keeping on the days around the insurrection. Uh, a Secret Service spokesman last week acknowledged text messages from January 5th and January 6th, 2021. A Secret Service spokesman last week acknowledged text messages from January 5th and January 6th, 2021 were deleted even after the agency received a request to preserve communication from those days. 
The agency claims there was nothing malicious and the messages happened to be deleted, quote, as part of a device replacement program. What do we make of this, Moshe? It's it's funny. There's an old adage in Washington, Kevin, where like, don't blame on maliciousness what you can blame on pure incompetence on the side of the government. <laughs> so, you know, people are like, well, you know, this is really sketchy. They deleted the text. Well, they deleted all their text. At the same time, yes, it's sketchy. The people who were closest to the president and vice president on a huge day, uh, their texts are gone, right? Of course, Congress could still ask them to testify, the agents themselves, but the text would probably come in helpful. This all comes, by the way, Kevin, as a congressional committee, the January 6th committee that's investigating this, is holding another primetime hearing uh, this Thursday night. It's going to examine, they've had themes at these hearings. This one is going to examine the 187 minutes, what President Trump did between his speech on the ellipse, then supporters, of course, invaded the Capitol, and then he eventually calls on them to go home. So there's 187 minutes here between his speech on the ellipse and when Trump eventually told folks, you know, the hundreds, if not thousands of folks who had invaded the Capitol to go home. Why didn't he call off the mob? What messages were considered? We're expected to hear from two Trump officials who were inside the White House that day. Uh, one is Mark Pottinger. He was in the inner circle. There has been this pushback from Trump's people saying, oh, I don't know who this low-level person is. They don't know anything. Pottinger happened to be in the room, and there are people within the Trump administration who are very curious as to what he might say. There's another communication staffer who was privy to what alternate statements the president might have had that day. But let's get back to those text messages. So as you said, an agency spokesperson had dismisses any, quote, insinuation that they maliciously deleted these texts. But it turns out, and this is where the committee is a little frustrated, there had been several requests in December and then January, knowing that this uh, IT thing was going to be happening, mm -hmm. to preserve documents. Four committees contacted DHS. DHS oversees the Secret Service to preserve those records. Those records were not preserved. And so, uh, again, it's a little sus, as the Gen Zers mm -hmm. say. Uh, Kevin. But uh, again, I got, I got notes from like people who work in IT and government who are like, just, you know, it's, it's a mess. Okay. Okay. So it could just be a simple wires cross situation. It, it totally could. But I mean, come on, it looks a little sketchy too, it's right? Convenient. It's yeah. convenient. It's <laughs> convenient. Uh, we are seeing other headlines, I, I think related to, to January 6th. Like, uh, did a group of Republican and Democratic senators just announce a deal on Wednesday to reform how they count electoral college votes? Like, I would think that is directly related to what the, the mob was all about. Yeah, a bit, right? And and by the way, I, I like your tone there, Kevin. You're like, did Republicans and Democrats get together to do something? Yes. <laughs> it doesn't happen often. <laughs> it doesn't happen often. Um, this is a rare case where there is some agreement, at least agreement, uh, enough agreement where something could get done. So I'm not going to bore folks with details, but it turns out that we have some old laws in this country, and some of them were not very well written. And it has led, it, it basically enabled some of the confusion on January 6th. Uh, and you can say confusion if you're being nice, manipulation if you're trying to, you know, be being mm -hmm. real in terms of what we're learning. So it all goes to the Electoral Count Act of 1887, which apparently, Kevin, is one of the most poorly written laws we have on the books. Uh, apparently, there was a chaotic election in 1876. Again, won't go into details. They tried to fix it with this law in 1887. Turns out they didn't do a very good job of it. But for the most part, for about 130 years, we had elections in this country uh, each side sort of respected the results for the most part. And so we didn't really look at this law. Now, the law apparently is very vague, so vague, in fact, that it allowed some to interpret, including former President Trump, that the VP 
Vice President Pence, in this case, could just totally reject the results. He's like, well, my reading of the law is that the law is, again, very poorly written. So a couple things they've worked on here. Uh, one, currently the law allows literally one member of the House, one member of the Senate to reject results. That threshold is being raised to 20% of each body. So literally 90 members of Congress or 20 senators would have to say something shady happened in the state. It also explicitly says the vice president has no discretion over the results. Uh, by the way, this is how VPs have always thought about it. But then Trump said, no, Pence, you could totally reject this. They're mm -hmm. making it explicit in law. It also uh, limits the ability of state legislatures to change laws uh, and you know get into shenanigans after election day. Um, and so the key here is it's bipartisan, Kevin, Republicans, there's enough Republicans, enough Democrats to see this pass. A lot of folks didn't, didn't like what happened on January 6th and they want to change the law. And by the way, as far as bad laws are concerned, uh, at some point we can do a whole different podcast on how Aaron Burr accidentally created the filibuster after killing Alexander Hamilton because he was bored in the Senate. So we have a lot of rules that are, have some weird wow. history. How do you, how do you, where do you store all of this knowledge? Um, it goes in the place where most people remember people's names. I'm terrible with names at parties. And so like, I think I'm not I, bad with names, but I don't know about laws from 1876. <laughs> with, hold on. I'll, I'll be totally open. Uh, in preparation for the podcast, I sometimes have to do a little Googling myself. Kevin. Okay. All right. <laughs> He's human. Yes. Now let's head abroad, Mosh, uh, as the war in Ukraine is about to enter its sixth month this weekend. Russia's foreign minister said Wednesday that their ambitions in Ukraine now stretch beyond the country's eastern Donbas territories. Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov told a Russian news outlet that their territorial aims have changed to include a swath of the south as peace negotiations have failed and the situation on the ground has changed. Yeah, so this is Russia, as Russia does, sort of changing the goalposts, moving the goalposts, if you will, saying, well, you know, if the West hadn't intervened and just let us do what we need to do in Ukraine, we would totally be done by now. Uh, it's pretty crazy to think that this weekend will mark five months of the war. We're going into that six month, as you said. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Russia's saying, uh, you know, they're going to keep going here. Based on most of the reports, it, it appears Russia has taken between 20 to 25% of Ukraine. Ukraine, keep in mind, is about the size of Texas. So they've taken nearly a quarter of the country so far. That's the east, which is that Donbass, that, you know, allegedly disputed region, which is had conflict even preceding this war, uh, and most of the South. In fact, Ukraine has lost most of its coastline now uh, due to the Russian invasion. Russia has been slowed down by Western weaponry, including a lot of the U.S. aid and European aid that's come in, including uh, multiple U.S. rocket launchers. They've slowed down Russia's advance. It's actually allowed Ukraine to strike ammunition dumps and other strategic targets beyond the front lines. Ukraine, by the way, is preparing a counteroffensive. Uh, and we promised, the U.S. promised on Wednesday that we will be sending them more of those effective rocket launchers. The First Lady of Ukraine, by the way, was in D.C. this week pleading for more help. And Moshe, this comes as Europe made some major announcements on the Russia front this week. The, uh, the European Commission proposed rationing natural gas, looking for every member country to cut down 15% of their gas use to save the region from a major energy crisis should Russia slash gas exports this winter. Yeah, this is a big deal. Europe gets about 40% of its natural gas from Russia, about a quarter of its oil, 40% of its natural gas. There's pipelines that run from uh, Russia into Europe and Putin controls the tap, basically. We're going to see how the, all this plays out. I mean, this is a major move by the Europeans. Uh, keep in mind, by the way, that some of the bloc's wealthiest countries, like Germany, France, they're among some of the world's richest people, and they're not accustomed to hardships like keeping their house cold over the winter. You know, they have to use the natural gas. 
uh, for heat. Though at the same right. time, recent polling in Europe shows that about three quarter of Germans, uh, for instance, are still okay with hardships to support Ukraine. Um, one of the things the Europeans will have to do is ensure they have enough gas stored uh, for the winter. And they might be looking over here, uh, Kevin. Do you know which country produces the most natural gas in the world? Based on that question, I would say maybe us. It is us. We are number one. <laughs> uh, we don't have the most assets, but we are the most productive and we produce the most natural gas. Russia's number two, by the way. Uh, it mm. just so happens that in addition to producing the world's most natural gas, Kevin, we also use most uh, more uh. natural gas than anyone else in the world. So we do have a little bit left over in our production and we have already started sending some of that to Europe. All right, let's get to the uh, speed read now. This is uh, where we uh, quickly go through some headlines we think you will be uh, chatting with your family and friends about. Uh, we'll start with Netflix. This is from CNBC. Netflix earnings were not great, but they were good enough for their investors. While a loss of 1 million global subscribers sounds pretty rough, it's actually good news as they were projecting a loss of closer to 2 million. Uh, with this news, Netflix shares shot up. It seems that investors are confident in the company's plans for 2023 and beyond. Those plans include an ad-supported tier of the streaming service and a more intense crackdown on password sharing. Uh, looking ahead to the third quarter, the company is forecasting 1 million new subscribers. We'll see how that how that goes. But uh, if it does happen, that will be a total subscriber loss through the first nine months of the year. Uh, but Moshe, I guess they would still call this sort of their rebuilding phase. Yeah, you know, it's 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 become more challenging for a variety of reasons, Kevin, right? Like, you know, a, anyone who didn't already have Netflix got it during COVID. So it's really hard for them to show more growth because like they basically maxed out. They had to increase prices. Now they get the password sharing thing. Now the people who said there would never be ads are like, yeah, we might do some ads on Netflix. And then you also have like HBO Max and Hulu and Peacock and all these other streamers. Like, Kevin, do you know uh, how many of those streaming uh, apps do you pay for in your house? And we do at least eight. We don't have cable. We haven't had cable for a while, but we have a bunch of streaming services. Which, by the way, like when you look at the bottom line, you're like, oh, this sort of is as expensive, if not more expensive than cable yes. ever was, right? And I mean, I'm not the, the, you know, this is not an original idea to me, but I'm guessing somebody at some point will come along, some company will bundle all of these streaming services together and just sort of reinvent cable. <laughs> Right. It's it's sort of the uh, evolution of every technology where it's like there's the like all the competition and somebody buys them all up, somebody organizes mm -hmm. them. I mean, it's sort of what Apple kind of did for music in that kind of early post Napster phase. I think Apple actually a lot of folks have said that if uh, Steve Jobs had survived, his thing was to fix television for everybody. Um, and Apple has had Apple TV and obviously Apple Plus, but never kind of gotten around to everybody else. By the way, at the same time, I should say, Kevin, uh, the Netflix CEO, Reed Hastings, was an investor call where he was talking about these earnings. And he once again said, uh, linear TV is going to die. He predicted linear TV, mm. live television, something near and dear. Uh, you know, I worked in live television for a very long time. Uh, we'll be dead in five to 10 years. It turns out, by the way, that that would be really useful for Netflix for linear TV to die. But I don't know. What do you think? Live TV dead? Five, 10 years. I don't think it will ever totally die, probably mostly because of local content. Uh, I could see some of the live events, you know, being on streaming services. I know a lot of sports are already making these deals with, you know, various streaming services to host their, their weekly games or whatever it might be. But uh, I would think mostly because of the local content, regular linear TV will never die. Let's move on to the, uh, the latest on that real life tragedy on the set of Law & Order Organized Crime. A member of the crew was murdered on set Tuesday morning in Brooklyn. This is about 5.15 in the morning. 31-year-old Johnny Pizarro was sitting in a car near the set when an unknown assailant reportedly opened the car door and fired a weapon 
Zara was hit in the neck and head. He was rushed to a nearby hospital where he was pronounced dead. Uh, now, according to ABC7, police believe the shooting was targeted, although the motive remains unclear. Uh, and according to some reports I saw, filming on the show actually resumed the next day. They started filming again on Wednesday, just one day after the shooting. Actors Christopher Maloney and Jeffrey Donovan were photographed on set. Yeah, I, this is wild to see the headline because it sort of feels like it could be a storyline from the show, right? Law and Order pulls yeah. its a lot of its plots from real life stories that happen in New York. Unfortunately, though, um, it is true. We don't know the motive yet. No suspects have been named. They're still investigating it. Uh, Pizarro's job, by the way, was to make sure the street was clear so that vehicles affiliated with the show could park. There are you know, ideas out there or theories out there that it could have been a parking dispute of some sort. What's weird about this is this is a high profile area TV set, which by the way, are pretty common around New York City. Uh, this is a yeah. safe neighborhood. No murders happen in that neighborhood for several years now. By the way, I should say I live in Brooklyn, but in a different neighborhood a couple miles away. Still scary to think that that happened. By the way, looking at the crime data uh, for this year, this is data from the NYPD. Gun violence is actually decreasing in New York City. In May of this year, there were 118 shootings, which is down 30% from May of last year. By the way, crime is up in certain areas, but it comes uh, when it comes to gun violence, though, gun violence is slightly down. By the way, the New York Times reports there are 35 different TV series currently shooting in all five boroughs right now. All right, moving on to uh, some food news. It appears that one person is worried about tasting more than the rainbow in a bag of Skittles. This California man has filed a lawsuit against Mars, the company that makes Skittles, the candy, uh, claiming that uh, the use of titanium dioxide in the candy makes it, quote, unfit for human consumption. The use of this additive, which uh, is, is employed as a coloring agent in foods, isn't illegal in the United States. It's, it's legal here. Uh, the FDA permits its use in most foods, though it restricts it to 1% of a food's weight. Mars contends it has done nothing wrong. They said, while we do not comment on pending litigation, our use of titanium dioxide complies with FDA regulations. That's what a Mars spokesperson said in a statement regarding this lawsuit. Yeah, my wife and I were talking about this because, you know, we're she's, she's big on, you know, ensuring we're eating uh, healthy things. And so uh, she flagged me the story, actually. Uh, looking deeper into it, Mars actually announced in 2016 that it planned to remove artificial coloring from its products within five years. Of course, it's been six years, and that's noted in the lawsuit. It appears, though, that the world is split on this. The Europeans have banned titanium dioxide as a food additive. Uh, that goes into full effect actually next month in the EU. The European regulators cited fears that an accumulation of that substance uh, could actually damage your DNA and potentially cause cancer. In England, though, they allow it. So the EU has banned it. The U.S. allows it. Uh, England allows it. By the way, you might not see it on your packaging called titanium dioxide. You might also see it called E-171. It's also in some gum, cake decorations, coffee creamer, vitamins. Back to California, by the way, the lawsuit does note that there are other candies here that have taken it out of their candies. That includes Sour Patch Kids, uh, Swedish Fish, and Nerds. By the way, I was just looking at a package of sweet, uh, Sour Patch Kids, by the way, Kevin. It does still have mm -hmm. things like yellow six, red 40, yellow five, and blue one, whatever those are. If, if my wife hears this, we're going to stop getting Sour Patch Kids. She's <laughs> she's all about those artificial dyes. Like there was a certain, uh, you know, like a food product for kids. I'll just say it. They were Uncrustables. Once we, we, my kids ate them every day. Once my wife found out they were not legal in Canada, we stopped buying them. We're not like the healthiest people in the world, but we try. And there are certain foods here in the U.S. that like the rest of the world, it's, it's outlawed there. 
Totally. And, and by the way, Europe is very restrictive when it comes to a variety of things. I mean, this goes to their policies and technology and social media, but also uh, when it comes to food regulation. And we allow a lot more here. And, and frankly, Kevin, as we've been tracking things related to the FDA the past couple of years, whether it's the baby formula, whether it's, you know, all things COVID um, and of course, food related matters, uh, they have a lot on their plate, so to speak. And so, you know, sometimes uh, their research is not the most up to date. I mean, clearly, I think we might need more funding for the FDA to look at this sort of thing. But yeah, you know, as, as delicious as Uncrustables once were, Kevin, uh, I, <laughs> I remember they, they were a key snack of mine when I was uh, cramming for tests in college. I loved them. They say you're not supposed to microwave them, but I always did. <laughs> All right, let's take a turn here. Still, still kind of talking about Mars, but not the candy company. The planet space is such a mystery. According to MIT, astronomers have detected an unusual radio signal from a galaxy at least a billion light years from Earth. It's known as an FRB or fast radio burst. And these usually last for milliseconds, but this new signal lasts for up to three seconds. It's apparently the longest lasting FRB ever detected. Uh, is that a sign of life? We don't have any idea, but uh, it's something to think about. I and have this thoughts. News corresponds. I, I have some You're thoughts, <laughs> Kevin, but you finish. <laughs> Okay. This news corresponds with a, uh, a pretty big anniversary this week. Wednesday was the anniversary of the moon landing. The Apollo 11 crew touched down on July 20th, 1969. According to a new uh, YouGov poll that we saw, 37% of Americans think it is likely that people will be living in space permanently in 50 years. Whether that's on the moon or another planet like Mars, I could see that happening within 50 years. Technology moves fast. And it depends on uh, these heat waves. You're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Uh, while reading about this anniversary of the moon landing, ABC News put out some uh, some interesting information I wanted to share real quick. Mosh, tell me if you knew any of this stuff. The Apollo uh, computers had less processing power than a, a smartphone, I, an average smartphone today. I, I have heard that one. It's shocking. Uh, the space suits that they wore weighed 200 pounds here on Earth. That I did not know. And it's estimated that 650 million people worldwide watched the moon landing. That's another reason linear TV will never die. Oh, those were the glory days of linear TV, my friend. I, I you know, having worked at CBS for nearly a decade, uh, I remember looking at some of the numbers where they're like, you know, Cronkite some nights used to get almost 100 million Americans watching him. And Jeez. like, you know, we, we were lucky on a good night if we got 6 million uh, 50 years later. Um, yeah. Another Apollo fun fact, by the way, uh, Kevin, um, the longest distance telephone call ever was between President Nixon and the astronauts. That was like an actual, like a, a regular telephone call? How did they get service up there? You know, honestly, you, like you, you said earlier, the technology, we have more in our smartphone now than they had to yeah. get to the moon. So it's pretty remarkable how they did some of that stuff. I mean, you can go back to like Galileo. You're like, how did the guy like, you know, figure out <laughs> what was going on in, you know, uh, outer space, like blowing with technology from 500 years ago. And actually one of the remarkable things uh, is that we haven't been back to the moon now for 50 years. And that's actually something that NASA is currently working on. Uh, they're testing rockets right now. You'll see some more missions later this year. The goal right now is to land astronauts again on the moon by 2025. So within three years, uh, the goal is to build some sort of base there and use that as a jumping off point to get to Mars. But I want to talk about that radio signal that you mentioned at the top for a second. Yes, please share, share your thoughts. So I'm, have, I'm dying to know. I, I know you haven't seen Top Gun, but did you ever see uh, Jodie Foster, the Jodie Foster movie Contact? I haven't seen that either. I'm so sorry. So <laughs> Don't be mad at me. No, it's, it's all good. But in that movie, literally, this is like a plot from it. They get a mysterious radio burst from outer space and, you know, they call it contact, right? With, a, with, um, with alien life. What was interesting about this mysterious 
I keep calling it the mysterious radio burst, is that the pattern that they heard for those few seconds you mentioned was similar to a heartbeat. So you're kind of like, wait, are they mimicking us? Like, what do they know? Like, what is this about? So some astronomers estimate that the signal actually came from a galaxy a billion light years away, though it's sort of like being in a field and hearing a noise at night and being like, wait, where did that come from? So other astronomers are like, we actually have no idea, like if it's a billion or where that's from. And so as you're looking into these, uh, scientists first discovered the first FRB, uh, one of these radio signals, in 2007, so about 15 years ago. Since then, hundreds of them have come in. Uh, there may be a non-alien reason for it, by the way. Radio signals apparently are emitted when stars die, though that heartbeat thing still, that's yeah. interesting. It's sort of like the Secret Service text message story. Like, could there be a there there? It's a little sus. A little sus, as they say. <laughs> All right, let's talk about a guy that uh, that desperately wants to see people living on Mars. This is from AP News. The uh, dispute between Twitter and Elon Musk will head to trial in October. Now, remember, Twitter was uh, looking for an expedited trial in September, and Musk wanted to push it to next year. And now a Delaware judge has said that uh, to delay this case would, quote, threaten irreparable harm. The longer the delay, the greater the risk. And again, Twitter still wants Elon to go through with his promise to buy him for $44 billion. And they say the longer this goes on, the more it's harming business for them. Moshe, in this article, they spoke to a, a law professor that thinks there's a chance of like some sort of settlement prior to that date in October. Do you think that could actually happen? It seems so murky to me. Yeah, I mean, the only person who really can figure out what's going to happen here is Elon himself. You know, the fascinating story here, Kevin, is like Twitter wasn't for sale. Elon's like, I'm going to buy you. Twitter's like, no, don't worry about it. And Elon's like, no, I'm going to buy you. Then Elon gets the money together to buy them. Twitter's like, okay, cool. $44 billion, like that's more than we're actually worth. This is the best deal we're going to get. And then over three months, uh, Elon proceeds to just start to like trash talk them and be like, nah, I don't really want you guys anymore. And now, of course, Twitter's like, no, 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 we agreed to it. We have a pretty good agreement. You need to buy us, which is sort of weird because you're kind of like, you want the guy to buy you who doesn't want you anymore. So this is the deal. We'll likely see some sort of agreement that costs Elon somewhere between $1 billion and $44 billion. I mentioned $1 billion because in the agreement, basically to pull out of the agreement, there's a clause in there saying he's got to pay at least a $1 billion kill fee. You'll probably see this like most of the settlements settle outside of court. Uh, though, you know, Elon Musk is really, uh, he could do anything and he could try to take this all the way. But typically, these sorts of things uh, end up going to uh, negotiations in the back room. And again, it'll end up costing Elon some X Something. billion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have some other uh, Musk news here. His dad, Errol Musk, just told The Sun that he has been approached by a company that wants him to donate sperm used to <laughs> impregnate, quote, high class women. And his response to this was, why not? And Moshe, didn't we just recently find out that he he has a second child? I don't want to get this wrong, but a second child with his own stepdaughter? Do I have that right? Yeah, unfortunately you do, Kevin. Uh, some people have been grossed out about this, including members of the Musk family. This is yeah. the story. So Errol, Elon's dad, they don't have a good relationship, by the way. They haven't gotten along for years. Elon's actually had some pretty harsh words to say about his dad. It's like his dad's pure evil. Anyway, so Errol, the dad, had Elon and two other siblings with his first wife. He gets divorced. Marries the second wife raises some of the stepkids, including the stepdaughter, with the second wife. Eventually divorces the second wife nearly 20 years later and is now with one of the stepdaughters uh, that he raised. Uh, he announced last week that they had two children together, which brings his offspring to seven. By the way, mm. for his part, Elon has 10 kids that we know about or has had 10 kids that we know about. Um, but the Errol situation, really just gross. Um, but people are mm -hmm. just like, what is this about? 
By the way, I was joking recently between Musk's, uh, I think Alec Baldwin set to have his eighth child and Nick Cannon. Uh, that'll pretty much be Earth in a few years. That mission to Mars will no, just be a Cannon, uh, a Musk, and a, and a Baldwin. That's maybe that's why we leave the Earth and go to the Moon, <laughs> or we leave them here. We leave we leave yes, all of them yeah. here. Yes. Uh, staying with some entertainment news right now. Uh, this is good news. It's from TMZ. It seems like Justin Bieber has recovered from his recent Ramsey Hunt syndrome diagnosis and is returning to the road. Bieber first revealed this diagnosis on Instagram back on June 10th, and he postponed his tour. Now, Ramsey Hunt left him with partial facial paralysis, but luckily that doesn't typically last forever. According to the Mayo Clinic, it happens when a case of shingles impacts the facial nerve near the ear. And while he has not yet announced when his postponed tour dates will take place, he is officially set to be back on stage at a festival in Italy at the end of this month. So it's a couple weeks away. Uh, are you a believer, Mosh? I, I, you, you better believe it, Kevin. Uh, I get my peaches out of Georgia. Um, the man's dropped some hits. And uh, yeah. I was a big fan of Holy when they came out with uh, Chance the Rapper. It's a great song. Good song. Good song. You know, like he he really, it's a remarkable uh, journey to have seen Justin from like that young age on YouTube uh, to reach yeah. stardom. Um, and it's great to hear that he's doing better. I mean, I remember seeing reports when this first came out that some doctors were like, you know, this could be months, if not years sometimes for recovery. So for him to be able to turn this around, um, it's great to hear. All right, lastly here, we'll end with this one. We wanted to uh, bring this, it's a pretty remarkable story uh, to you. It's about this man in Indiana named Nick Bostick. Uh, the word hero gets thrown around a lot, but it's well-deserved in this case. Uh, this happened back on July 11th, but the story just broke this week, and it's really incredible. Bostick was driving around Lafayette, Indiana at about 12.30 in the morning, so just after midnight, and he saw a house engulfed in flames. He didn't have his phone, so he couldn't call 911. He decided to take matters into his own hands. He ran around to the back of the house where he was shouting to see if anyone was inside. Uh, ultimately, he discovered an 18-year-old and her three younger siblings inside at the top of the stairs. He ran in, ran up the stairs to save them. Again, they're strangers. And once outside, they informed him of another child still inside. It was a six-year-old named Kehlani. She was still in the burning house, so he ran back in to save her. And remember, house completely in flames. He found her upstairs and decided that his only way out would be to jump two stories down. He survived. She survived. The entire family survived thanks to this hero, Nick Bostick. That's a name we should all know. Absolutely. And by the way, I should mention, by the way, Kevin, the reason he was driving around 1230 in the morning, he's a Domino's pizza delivery guy. And so... Do they deliver that late? <laughs> I, I have not eaten my pizza that late uh, in, in a while. Uh, I try to eat my dinners early now. Um, my, my 40 year old belly is not the same as the, uh, is my 18 year old, uh, 2 AM pizza eating, uh, self. So Nick, by the way, this is the lesson number one for all of us here. Tip your Domino's delivery, uh, people. Well, uh, you yes. never know when they might save your life. Um, it's <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm sure when they drive around just like, uh, you know, in their own time, they can point out the houses that are good tippers and bad tippers. It, it's just so remarkable because, you know, something else I'm getting from folks is like, you know, you had, you know, we, we told the story earlier this week of the situation in Nuvaldi, Texas, where you had law enforcement who were waiting around. And here you have a Domino's delivery guy who, you know, literally like sees a house on fire. It's not, uh, based on what I know, the job description of a Domino's delivery guy to go in right. and save a bunch of children from a burning house. But, you know, I would definitely uh, tell folks, go watch the interviews that he does. It's just incredible what this guy did. You know, he had smoke inhalation. He had to go to the hospital um, due to the injuries he suffered saving those kids. Uh, at the same time in Indiana, by the way, you had a, uh, another hero who uh, took out that mass shooter at the mall. Uh, unfortunately, mm -hmm. three people died. 
But uh, the reports came out uh, this week that apparently he hit eight of 10 of his shots um, when he took out that mess shooter. So there were some Indiana folks who are very proud of the fact that they got the Nick Bostick uh, and also the guy in the shopping mall. By the way, uh, Nick's cousin Richard has set up a GoFundMe page to help raise funds for him. Uh, and his recovery, uh, their goal was $100,000. They've actually blown past half a million at this point. Wow. And so, Kevin, I mentioned earlier our tradition on the show on Thursdays is a early cheers to the freaking weekend. We uh, talk about what we're watching, what we're reading, and what we plan to eat this weekend, if we can get to it. Okay. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to start with what we're watching. Kevin, what do you have on tap for this weekend? Well, I know I should probably say Top Gun in contact, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, my wife and I, we always like after the, the kids go to bed at night, we always try to watch one episode of something together. That's like our downtime, uh, before we go to bed. And we just started watching the show, the bear, which people are raving about. They're saying it's one of the best shows of the year. So we watched episode one last night and we, uh, will continue this weekend. My, my wife actually got started on that show herself. And like, I heard her in the living room last night, like she had her headphones on and she was gasping at whatever scene she saw play out. So I understand that okay. like, it, it appears to be pretty good and I, I might catch up on it. Um, a couple things that are coming out this weekend, we might end up going to see the Barbie movie with Margot Robbie. Um, mm. And there's a cool documentary that I heard about called The Last Movie Stars. It stars George Clooney and Laura Linney as Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Uh, this is an Ethan Hawke documentary. So that's something folks might want to check out. So it's a documentary with George Clooney starring, you know, acting in it, but it's a documentary. That's cool. Yes. Yeah, it, it should be interesting. And, uh, and the Paul Newman story is pretty incredible, um, as I understand it. So uh, something that I, I've seen some uh, positive reviews for. And we, uh, well, if I'm not watching The Bear, like you, uh, mm -hmm. might, be a, might be something I start this weekend. All right. So next up, we have what we're reading this weekend, Kevin. Uh, what are you looking at? Well, your Instagram stories. Uh, <laughs> Mostly. Um, but uh, I honestly, I'd feel guilty saying reading. I don't read often. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, So I'll, I'll you know, count that. Um, but I listen to a lot of autobiographies. And I just started, it's called Directed by James Burroughs. He's a famous director. He, he directed every episode of Cheers, a bunch of taxis, done tons of shows over the years. And uh, I'm a big fan of a lot of those shows. So I'm like halfway through his audiobook. Uh, that, that sounds fascinating to me as, as a... Um latchkey kid of sorts i watched a lot of television growing up um yeah. and i one of the things i found remarkable by the way about cheers is they actually you know recently they these things tend to go viral on twitter where they show what the ages were of the cast oh my gosh i saw that yes they were all younger than us right they're all in like i was like wait um was it cliff the po the, the mailman like <laughs> yes i mean yeah. he wasn't like 22 but like he was like in his 30s or something and i was like cliff? Uh -huh, all of them cliff was that young um shocking <laughs> So uh, I don't have an audio book, but I was it, actually, admittedly, sometimes what I'm reading is not a book necessarily, but like a news article. Um, one of the things that caught my attention today that um, is kind of a larger trend story is Wall Street Journal had a front page story uh, titled, Hold the Ketchup, Steelers fans flip over Heinz Stadium name change. Uh, Pittsburgh residents are in revolt over the uh, stadium. The I guess it's being renamed Acrisure, Acrisure Stadium. And apparently, like Big Ben uh, Roethlisberger tweeted out, you know, forever Heinz. Uh, and we've seen that in a few places. Wasn't it, uh, what was the arena that just became Crypto Arena? Was it Staples Center? Oh, in LA, yeah. Was it Staples Center? That Yeah, you're right. And I remember in uh, the big one for me in my youth was, you know, growing up in the Chicagoland area when Comiskey Park became U.S. Cellular Field. 
That was a big one. Well, and Chicago generally, I mean, Wrigley Field might be the only one that has kept its original uh, like sponsor name, Wrigley, right? But like, mm -hmm. you know, this when the Sears Tower became the Willis Tower, and now it's whatever. Right. And then I guess the Hancock lost its name because again, they sell sponsorship rights. So it's, uh, I, I guess, Pittsburgh is the latest city to be flustered by all of this. So finally, Kevin, uh, last topic for the Cheers to the Freaking Weekend is what we're eating this weekend. Uh, I don't know if this is going to make you roll your eyes or what, but uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am vegan. I have been for like seven or eight years, uh, and I've lived in Nashville now for a couple of years, and I'm still sort of exploring restaurants. But for whatever reason, lately, I've been on a big vegan sushi kick. And so we just found a place down at like Fifth and Broadway, if you know the area at all. They have great vegan sushi. It's basically sushi without any fish in it, and they just kind of make, you know, fake tuna and stuff like that, but uh, it's delicious. So we're going to go back and get that this weekend. Uh, just making clear to everyone, we have not been paid for the sponsorship. We aren't paid by any of these segments, but... but <laughs> well, I didn't even say the name of the restaurant. <laughs> but but if, even if this delicious vegan place would like to sponsor the podcast, I'm, I'm happy to have Kevin on. Uh, actually, we'll just take that audio, Kevin, and have it yeah. be the, the rolling ad for it. All right. <laughs> Um, this is doesn't seem like it's that exciting, but I will say it sometimes changes the game for you, especially on a hot day. My wife's been putting frozen fruit in water bottles. Um, so mm. you get a little bit of like peach or a little bit of strawberry in your water. Uh, mint. So usually, you know, you always see it like in a hotel lobby sometimes. But Yeah, and I get excited when I see it. If I see some cucumber water there, I got to have it. You got to have it. And yet so many people don't do it at home. So we've started to do it at home. And uh, especially uh, given this heat wave. It's, it gives you that extra little uh, extra little boost when you sorely need it when it's 100 degree temps. It's a good tip. Maybe we'll do it here with our vegan sushi. One reminder before we go, by the way, Kevin, I don't know, have you gotten your Mega Millions ticket yet? No, but I just saw that it's big, right? $630 million uh, is the jackpot. Ooh. One of the biggest of all time. By the way, the biggest was a couple of years ago. It was like $1.5 billion it had gotten to. But $630 million, mm. pretty big deal. Uh, it's available in 45 states, by the way. Mega Millions is now in 45 states. Uh, the only people, sorry, Utah, Alabama, Mississippi, Wyoming, and Nevada are the five states that do not have Mega Millions. But for the rest of us, you know, you got a one in whatever chance to win big this weekend. Uh, not very good, but yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. The drawing is uh, late Friday night, so you have, uh, you have a couple days to get to that. Kevin, I want to thank you again for joining me uh, for the podcast. Thanks for having me, man. This is honestly uh, such a treat for me to be here chatting with you, picking that uh, big brain of yours. So thank you for having me back. Um, I, I appreciate uh, the kind words. And uh, as we did Monday, we'll be taking a very scientific poll, uh, see if we'll have you back again this <laughs> summer. But I appreciate you taking time this week uh, from Nashville to join us. And I want to thank everyone for listening. We want your feedback on how we're doing, how Kevin's doing. Um, and <laughs> what we're covering. We don't, we don't need that. Feedback. We don't need that feedback. I'll only pass along the good stuff, Kevin. No, actually, the, the community is great. The community is very nice. Uh, and they can email us podcast at mo.news uh, to send along your suggestions, tips, feedback. We'd love to hear how we're doing, what you'd like to see more of, etc. Uh, of course, you can subscribe to our newsletter, Mo News Newsletter at monews.bulletin.com. And of course, follow me on Instagram at Moshe at M-O-S-H-E-H. Uh, and don't forget to follow us, subscribe to us, review us in the App Store, um, and help us continue to expand and reach greater audiences. Uh, Kevin, you have a wonderful weekend, my friend. You too, man. You too. And we'll see everyone here next week.